Numbers chapter 13. Number 13, lucky day. Put you, put you a marker on Deuteronomy 28, too. And the rest of them we'll put up on the board for you. <clears throat> so before I start... This morning, I just want to want to say something real quick. Um, if you ever if you ever text me or you call me or even if you leave a voicemail or something like that, and I do not respond, I don't ever just ignore anybody on purpose. Okay, you text me again or call me again or or whatever. I have, sometimes people do that. Or I might, if you don't know, I work every day, just like you. I'm up on a roof or, or somewhere in a predicament to where I can't, I don't keep my phone on me because if I did, I'd ruin one every day sweating. So I leave my phone in the truck and sometimes my, my help or sometimes I'll get a message and I'll, I'll look at it and then I can't respond at that moment. Well, then I forget. I'm old and senile. Okay. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm just not answering you or I'm too busy. You know, if you don't get a hold of me and you need to get a hold of me, try again. <clears throat> Second thing is, you know, I don't know if y'all know a whole lot about preaching, but it's very, it's very, very, very possible for me, maybe not for some, but for me, that I might say some something or you hear me, what you think I said while I'm preaching a message or, or something like that that might cause you an issue. If I ever say something that causes you an issue, come to me and talk to me about it. You know, don't go talk to everybody else in the church about it or leave the church. When I call you friends and family, that's what I, that's what I mean, okay? And if I don't show up one Sunday at church because you said something or I thought you said, you know, that, that would be crazy. So anyhow, I'm very approachable. I'm not argumentative. And by all means, I, I make a lot of mistakes and I'll, I'll accept my mistakes. You'll accept yours also. And, 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 and here's where I'm at. You know, I just go, you know, I, above all, I hope y'all know I want to honor Jesus. I never wanted to be a preacher, never saw myself as that, and I think about leaving it every week in reality. You have no idea how much I wrestle with this. After 25 years, every week I'm ready to quit. But I love the Lord, and, and His Word is true, and His Word. So I try to stick with that, okay? But anyhow, just just letting you know that, you know, a lot of people get their feelings hurt, and they leave, and you're like, what in the world happened, you know? If my wife left every time I had my feelings hurt, she done left 50 times. So, <clears throat> All right, Numbers 13. Here's my question for you this morning. What is keeping you from God's best in your life? What's keeping you from God's best in your life? This is not a Houston message, but it's a biblical message, okay? Some of y'all pick that up later, all right? <laughs> Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start off... Uh, remember, just give you some background here. I'm going to slow down. Sometimes I say, I might say something because I'm going so fast trying to get you out of here. But now I'm going to slow down and keep you for an hour and 45 minutes. Some of you are going to say, I don't care what you say. Just get done. (laughs) But in Numbers chapter 13, you remember the children of Israel were in Egypt in bondage, slavery, 400 years. 
God, through his judgments and his signs and wonders, brought them out of Egypt. The last judgment that was in the, of the ten in Exodus was the Passover lamb is a perfect picture of the cross of Jesus who fulfilled that, became our Passover lamb, offered up his life's blood so that we could be set free from bondage. He brings them through a time period, gives them the law, brings them through the wilderness, a time of testing of their faith, and brings them into the land. You remember back in Exodus, which was, which was a long time earlier, he promised, and he actually even promised to Abraham uh, prior to the 400 years, that he was going to give them what we call the promised land. God promised this land to Abraham and his descendants, which became Israel. And so... He told them all about it. He said, I'm going to bring you in this land. I'm going to give you this land. It's a good land. It's a land of plenty, land of milk and honey. And so at this point in time in Numbers, what happens is God brings them up to the Jordan River. The promised land is across the Jordan River. And so Moses sends 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, over into the land. They go into the land 40 days. In the Bible, the, the number 40 is a time of testing. So God was basically testing their faith to see what report they would bring back. What would be the testimony or the witness of these 12 men, what they saw while they were in this land. <clears throat> and when they come back across, this is what this is where we're at. They're, they're coming back across and they're giving their report of what they had seen. It says in verse, I will start 21. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as... Rehob near the entrance of Hamath, and they went up through the south and came to Hebron. All those names, you know. Ahiman, Shishai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Sound like some of my descendants. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. Notice they carried it between a pole between two of them. So that's like a huge cluster, one cluster great. So God's pointing out that this was a highly blessed land. Carried it between uh, uh, them on a pole. So they brought some of the pomegranates, the figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because they cut the cluster, which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel, in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation. They showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them, this is where I want you to zone in and and, uh, uh, pay attention. We went to the land where you sent us. Notice how they word this. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. So they come back and are like, you know what? Everything God said of this land is true. It's exactly what he told us. He, He described it perfectly to us. All these years we've been looking forward to... And believing in what God has promised and what he's told us. And now that we have seen it with our own eyes, it's absolutely true. This is the fruit of it. This is a totally different message, but I've got to give it to you. That's what the witness of a believer should be. God's word says this. God's word says this. Now we have walked in this life. We have witnessed this life. This is the fruit of this life. And truly, it is good. Okay? And then, all of a sudden, you see where most believers do the same thing they did. Why we miss out. And it says, nevertheless, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. 
Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That was giant people. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So it's full of their enemies. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him, these dudes must have been Baptists, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies as a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people who we saw in there are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And notice how they viewed themselves. And we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So what I want you to get out of this is, number one, God has good for you. God has good for every person sitting here. No matter where you are in this season of life, no matter where you are, believer, unbeliever, God has good for you. He absolutely does. They said, truly, it flows with milk and honey. And throughout the whole land, the land was good and fruitful. It was a, it was a, Caleb says later in chapter 14 in verse, um, seven, truly, he said, we pass through to spy out and it is an exceedingly good land. Exceedingly good. Look in, um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10 it, it, It'll be up here for you Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 10 And it goes along with this It says so shall it be when Not if but when the Lord your God Brings you into the land of which he swore To your fathers Now, that, now he's talking to a second generation here Not the same people To Abraham, Isaac and Jacob To give you large and beautiful cities. Now, before I read this, I want to say, what is your view of God? Because a lot of people see God as a taker. And they see God as a, who, who we, we beg God enough and we, and we burn our face on the carpet enough and we get our life in order enough that God will give us just what we need. Whereas the Bible says, give you, it didn't say you're going to give you, you know, a ghetto. He said to give you large and beautiful cities. Notice this. Which you did not build. That's called grace. Houses full of all, all good things. Which you did not fill. That's because he filled it. Hewn out wells, dug out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so... Everything to do with what God has, not just for them, but for us, is good, exceeding, and abundant. Jesus said, I come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. God doesn't do anything in mediocrity. God doesn't do anything halfway. And he has good for his children. You can sit here and go, well, I'm one of those. Because I know there's a lot of people who go, I'm one of those people You know, Brother Rana, who I've lived that, oh, I've lived a life like you can't imagine. I don't have to imagine because I lived the same life. Wicked to the bone, chasing after the world and everything in it, okay? If we want to get in, if we want to get in a, you know, a competition, who was the worst of the worst sinners here, we'll be here for a week because there's a bunch of us in here. And here's what the Bible says, God has good for us. God has good for us. You understand that? 
And here's the thing. This land God had prepared, God blessed it, and it was specifically for them. God has good for you. He has provided, prepared, and blessed specifically for me. Specifically for you. A life that he has that if you pursue that life by pursuing the Lord Jesus, that God will give it to you. There is nothing that can keep that from you. And you can have life. It doesn't matter what's going on around you, what other people choose to do or to believe. You have an opportunity to go, I can have God's very best for me and for my family. And that is a life in which he's my father. I am his son. That's what he says as you read the scripture. I will bring you this land. I will be unto you a God, and you will be unto me a people. I will be unto you a father. You will be unto me my children. It's all based around our relationship with the Lord, not our performance. And so in that, God also says in Jeremiah, he gives us a future and a hope. No matter what's going on in the world, I have this promise. It's available to me, and it's available to you. Now, I want you to look what goes along with this Deuteronomy 28. Look in Deuteronomy 28 real quick. <coughs> I like to do more Bible reading than I do speaking. It says in Deuteronomy 28, he's, he's got them all here. We won't read. If you want to read this later, God gives the people a choice. Two different lives. One is a life where they, they have life and they're blessed. The other one is the choice of where they're disobedient and they live a cursed life. There's a lot of believers, I believe, that you're living a cursed life out of your own choice rather than living the life that God desires to give you. You know, a lot of people have issues with uh, with asking God for things. You know, I, And it's this whole worthiness thing. Do you understand that if you're born again, understand you're born again by the blood of Jesus, not by, by what you did, but why, why, what he chose to do for you. He gave you forgiveness. He gave you mercy. He gave you life. He's willing to do that if you haven't been born again. God wants to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed, wash you, make you whole. And in Ephesians said, he has made me worthy. He has made, and so how many of you have an issue? You go, well, I just ask God for just the bare minimum. I just ask God for the bare minimum. Quit doing that. Ask God for his best. You know, he actually says in Matthew chapter 11, if you being evil know how to give good things to your kids, how much more am I willing to do way beyond that? He actually said, I am willing to do above all that you can ask or even imagine. He wants to do that for you. And yet the devil goes, oh, you're unworthy. You're unworthy. You're not willing. You can't ask. Ask for bare minimum. Don't even ask. Try to do everything yourself. And this whole motto of you do your best and then what you can't do, you ask God, quit that. Because that's a bunch of junk is what that is. That's the motto of the world. God says, I've already, I've done gone before you and I've got the best there for you. You've got to take it. So in Deuteronomy 28, <clears throat> I want this to settle with you. Look at what it's, look at what God's word says here in verse 2. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Why? Because you, here's the, here's the key, you obey the voice of the Lord your God. What happens when we obey God's voice? Number one, we love the Lord. We believe his voice. We believe his ways are true and good. We believe what he has for us. So I want to find out. I want to listen to it. I want to obey it. Verse 30, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. That means he blessed city folk and redneck, okay? Verse 4, amen. Blessed shall you be in your body 
produce in your health, produce the produce of the ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring, your flocks. I know what some people are probably thinking. Oh, he's going into prosperity gospel. No, I'm just reading the Bible. Just reading the Bible. Blessed shall you be in your basket and your knitting bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise up against you. Why would he do that? To be defeated before your face. They shall come against you in one way and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you and on your storehouses. And in all to which you set your hand, he will bless you in the land which the Lord God has given you. And I'll I'll stop right there, and I just want to kind of put this in perspective. That means this is what I have an expectation and a hope of. Number one, God says, if I'll listen to his voice, if I'll live by his, if I'll follow Jesus, I live by his word, and I want to be obedient because I believe God, then I have an expectation of a hope that my marriage will be blessed, my children will be blessed, my provision will be blessed, my day-to-day dealings. That means everything. He said, when you go, whether you're coming in or whether you're going out, whatever you're doing that day, no matter how small and insignificant, I'll even bless that. I'll be blessed over my enemies, of which my enemies are spiritual, not people. And all that I put my hand to. He says, whatever you put your hand to. I wonder how many of you men who hunt in here are asking God to bless your hunting season. I am. You say, well, that's foolish. No, no, I am. I absolutely am. I ask God to bless everything I put my hand to. I want God involved. I want his favor and his blessings in every aspect of my life. What part of your life is living unblessed? Where you uninvolve God. God doesn't, well, you tell me God doesn't care about, God doesn't care about this. God doesn't care about that. He says right here, if I pray to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, you said whatever. I put my hand to Colossians chapter three says, whatsoever you do, do it with your whole heart as unto the Lord. If you can't do what you're doing with your whole heart as unto the Lord, stop doing it. And so if I can do it that way, then I'm going to ask God's blessings. I want God's influence, his glory, his power, his grace, his goodness. I want it poured out in my life. I don't know about you, but I, I don't, here's where I'm at. I don't deserve God's best, but I desire God's best. And here's the thing, and I'll teach you this in just a second of this. You see this scripture. The only thing holding back is you're listening to the wrong voice. So many, because here's what, the devil doesn't want God's best for you. Why? Because God gets the glory. The devil wants, he doesn't want the best for you. He wants you to bring, bring back the bad report. He wants you to be like, uh, I'm my life is this, my life is that, and blah, 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 and all these other people. And, and then all of a sudden somebody's like, ain't you a Christian? Yeah, I am. I'm saved. Like, hey, the devil's getting all the glory out of your life. Where's God getting glory in that? What, what basically we're saying is, I, I, the Lord, Jesus is my Lord. And he's totally failed me. He don't care about me. And he's let me live this terrible life. But I go to church. Man, that's exciting. Ain't People want to just storm to the church over that. Okay? So here's the thing you need to understand. The enemy dwells in what rightfully belongs to you. You see that? Whose land was that? It wasn't the Canaanites' land. It wasn't the children of Anak's land. God said, number one, that's his land, and he's going to give it to Israel. 
The life God has is his life, and he gives it to his children. Am I making sense? But the problem is the enemy dwells what rightfully belongs to you. How many of you, if you went home this evening, and you had somebody you didn't know shacked up on your place in a tent or in a house would go, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to say nothing. If you're like me, they better start running because I got a gun coming. And here's the thing. Here's what a lot of people don't understand. Man, the Lord really showed me this this week. I'm back in numbers. Is this. When God saves us. You know, the Bible says he used the word, you've been redeemed. You've been bought back. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he redeemed them out of the slavery. And he took them as his own. They never even when they wanted to, went back to Egypt. God buys us through the blood of Jesus, redeems us, and now we're out of the slavery of sin, and we're no longer that person. And now what is God doing? The same thing he did with He is leading us to the land or the life that he has already purchased and, and, and laid out for us. Here's the problem. The enemy is dwelling what rightfully belongs to me. Verse 28 and 29, notice what it says. He says, or, or verse, yeah, moreover in verse 28, more we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land. In the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. Canaanites, don't that sound like your life when you first got saved? How many of you, when you first were born again, you met Jesus? And this is what discourages some people, and I want you to understand. Sometimes when we're first, when we're first saved, and we don't have the understanding of what we've been given, and all of a sudden we expect, you know, I got, whether you got saved in a church, you got saved out wherever, wherever you was, you know, now that I'm saved, I'm perfect. No, you're not. The enemy's dwelling in your place. You understand? You didn't wake up and go, I was an addict. Now I'm totally, some people, now some people do. Some people have to war. Doesn't change the fact of what Jesus has done for you that he's redeemed you and bought you. Some people have things in our lives. It's called strongholds because this is what I, I want you to understand. Those enemies had always been there. The Lord told them that. It was no surprise. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8. Notice this was back when they was in, in Egypt. So I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians. It's magnifying the cross of Jesus. To bring them up from. Remember God came down to bring us up. Religion says we go up. God came down. Jesus came down to us. Why? To raise us up. From that land, I want to get you out of that old life, and I want to bring you into a good and large land. To a land flowing with milk and honey. He didn't stop there. And the Lord said what? To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God doesn't hide anything. Here's the thing. He knows what you're involved in. Even after you're saved, all of a sudden, like, man, I thought that I still fight with those thoughts. I'm still fighting with those, those habits. I'm still battling with these sins. You know what the difference is now? You're battling. You're fighting. You're turning away from them. You're not making provision for them. And God's like, oh yeah, all those ites, all your ites are in your land, in your life. But I'm going to bring you up out of that. I'm going to bring you into a good and a large life. A good and a large land that I have for you. That by my grace, through what Christ has done for you, everything's been provided. Y'all got that? 13.5, what does that say, Kevin? <clears throat> and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the, and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, 
that you shall keep this service. And so he was saying, I, I know the enemy's there. No surprise. But for some reason, they acted like it, it was a surprise. See, the whole time that Israel, I want you to get this, the whole time that Israel was in bondage as a slave, the enemy was setting up strongholds in the land God had for them. How does that apply to us? How does that apply to me? The whole time that I'm lost in my sin, or even after a person is saved, if you choose to walk in sin or rebel against God, that whole time the devil is doing what? He's setting up strongholds in your life. And he doesn't give up easily. For instance, some of you could say he took your identity and your integrity through sinful choices. He took our freedom and our power through addiction. He took your peace, the unity of your family through self-centeredness. He took your children through the influence of the world. He took your financial stability through the foolish choices and greed. He took your laughter and your joy because of the pain others cause. That's what I mean. When you look at your life and you say, I am a Christian. But there's so many giants and I have so many enemies. Obviously, God's not doing what he said he's going to do. I thought when I got saved that God would just be a hocus pocus and everything would be good. That's not in the scripture. It's not in the scripture. God says, no, I'm going to save you. And then we're going to deal with the enemies. Then we're going to deal with the enemy that's robbing all of these things from you. And that list could just go on and on and on. Amen? But here's the thing. I know a lot of you sit here and we all identify with that and go, I got, man, I got enemies in the land. I got, I got things, decisions that I made years ago that I'm still struggling with. And I've got the way that I acted. Well, you know, when I, when I went off on that tangent, even as a believer, let's get real. Even as a believer, when I went off on that selfish, self-centered, prideful, arrogant tangent where I just wanted to be my own idol and I lived out there. Now all of a sudden I'm, I got a whole lot of things that I got to deal with. And that's what the devil goes, shame. Look at the shame in your life. Look at that, look at this. You're so unworthy. You're so shameful. You're so defeated. You should be so discouraged. You should live in depression. You will always look back at the choices you made, the mistakes you made, the things you're involved in. Look at what you've done to your family. Look what you caused in that church. Look what you did to those people. Look what those people did to you. And the Christians are walking around, and that's why we call a church a hospital for sinners. And it's not. It's not. It's actually a place where you get pumped up for victory. You go out and hand it to the devil this week. Amen. So a lot of you say, so what, so what do I do? Pray. And and here's the answer we usually have. You just pray a lot. You just pray a lot. It doesn't listen. I I imagine they probably prayed when they were on this side of Jordan, but they didn't just stand around praying. Okay, God, you're going to get rid of it. They would still be there praying. God said, why are you praying? I've already give you this. This is already accomplished. You know what he said? When the enemy takes something from you, you take it back. If you want that, if you want this life, it's not, okay, I'm praying and asking God. I'm not taking away from prayer, but listen to me. Some of us go, you know, I've lost this area in my life, or I've really messed up this area, and the devil took this, and the devil took that, and he take that. Then take it back. Take it back. Say, how did I do that? Well, a good place to start is prayer. But you know what the difference is? You go to battle with the Lord on your side. You go to battle with the Lord on your side. Put the sin out of your life. Don't just ask for forgiveness. Have repentance. Repentance means I forsake this sin that has eaten my life alive, and it's got to go. What we want to do is we want to we want to put ourselves in a sin a sinful position, 
And so many people want to justify in their life. Well, you know, drugs ain't that bad. A lot of people do drugs. That don't mean that you can't be a Christian if you do drugs. What you did was you just said, this is what's robbing me of the life that God has for me, his best. And because it has such a stronghold in my life and I don't want to battle or take it back, I'm just going to give the, the devil this place that he can just keep taking and keep taking. Whether it's that, so a lot of people want to justify alcohol. A lot of people want to justify bad relationships and all of that stuff. And then they want to get mad at church people and go, you're judging me. No, I'm not judging you at all. What I'm saying is, let's call it for what it is. If it's sin, the only reason I want to call it out, because I deal with it in my life too, is because I go, that's what's robbing you. I mean, how many of you, you will never forget this illustration. This just popped into my weird mind. How many of you, if you walked up in church and you had a big old gray dog tick on the side of your ear, would want me to be politically correct and go, that's probably an earring. I'm not going to say nothing because it's going to embarrass them. And your ears started, every week you come back and you got bigger and bigger and your ears started getting all infected and yellow stuff running out. How many of you, if I went, man, I hate to say this, but you got dog tick in your ear. How many of you go, you're judging me. You're judging me. You wouldn't. You would, you would hopefully go, I need to go look in the mirror. Hey, he's, he's right. And I might even go here. Let me, let me get that for you. <laughs> That's, you gotta view sin in the right way in your life. You should hope that you have a brother or a sister in your life that when you've got that on you, that they'll come up to you and be honest and go, man, I just want you to know I love, I'm telling you, this in your life is killing you. It's this what the devil's using to rob you of life. And the only reason I'm saying that, and you can, you're, you're welcome to say what you see with me too. You know, and that way we come to reality and go, you're right. Because sometimes we're so blinded we don't see it. Enough of that, okay? But but here's the thing. Put the sin out, and, and you know what? Go to war on the floor. Pray and, and spend time with the Lord and the power of God released from heaven. Believe and obey and live the word of God wholeheartedly. Yes, be a Jesus freak. And follow Jesus. Get rid of the idols in your life. Walk in the spirit. Crucify the flesh. God's laid out in his word how the path of victory is. It's very simple if you just read God's word and see, this is how God has victory for you. This is how God has life for you. And if you want that and you give yourself wholeheartedly that, you will have what God has promised. No matter what your past is, okay? But 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 the thing I want to point out right here is, you are no grasshopper. Some of you need to listen to that. You are no grasshopper. So this this is not nothing to do with the tick thing, okay? But I want you to get this. Why did the first generation of Israelites fail to go into the land? That land was theirs. God had done everything. He said, I want you to go in. But they didn't go in. They totally missed it. Now listen to me. The Lord, if you keep reading it, because of what they chose by their own will, the Lord sent them out into the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. He said, you will not have what I have for you. That doesn't mean they lost their salvation. They forfeited their salvation. You know why? The Lord and Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron went out in that wilderness with them for 40 years. They never wore out their shoes. They never, you know, God always provided food for them. And he even gave them victory in battles out there in that land. But it was not the life that God had for them. It was not what God intended for them. And a lot of Christians are living the life that God doesn't intend for you. And that's what I think is going to be like on the day of judgment when so many people stand before the Lord and go, I saved you. 
I had this for you. I want you to just see what I had for you. Some of us are going to go, what? You mean I lived that miserable life and I didn't have to? He's like, no, you didn't have to. You just chose to. You just chose to. You listened to the wrong thing. Now, what was the reason that they missed it? The same reason most believers miss it. Look at verse 28 and 29. I won't read it again. That's where he talks about all the enemies, including some giants. Now, when you look at all those enemies, and, it, and notice he, he, they magnify, they realize, and the sons of Anak were there. The Anak dudes must have been pretty bad dudes. Because they're like, look, there's all these enemies, and even we saw the sons of Anak. Okay? Who was the worst enemy? They were their own worst enemy. We have a lot of enemies. The devil is, has got a, a bunch against us. But sometimes the reason that we miss, and I think the only reason that we miss, is because we become our own worst enemies. Notice what, notice what, I want you to, to understand a couple things before I read this, okay? Satan cannot win. Some of you need to, to grasp that. And there is, understand, I don't care what scenarios you want to drum up or paint up. Satan cannot win because Christ crushed his head at the resurrection. He cannot win. You understand? We've already been given the victory. Now, he doesn't give up easy, but he cannot win. And if he wins and you live a down and depressed and defeated life, it's because you became your own worst enemy. When you look at this, I'm going to give you, you want to write down three steps to defeat. So I'd rather have victory than don't take these three steps, okay? You see the three steps of defeat here. Number one was they were so impressed with their enemies. All they could talk, all the ten spies could talk about, there's fortified cities. These great, the multiple times I looked at the great people and the great stature and, and the, the, even the annex are there and the, the giants. We saw all these, and man, the enemies just, and there's so many people who are so impressed with the enemy today. God's people so impressed with what Satan has going on in the world that it's all we talk about. We talk about the enemies that he has for us in Washington. We talk about the enemies that he has in other people because he reveals himself through the physical realm in that, in that sense. We talk about all of the sinfulness in the world, all of the darkness, and there's just no way that this little church could ever have what God has for us because our enemy is so magnificent. Second thing is they thought so little of themselves. Do you realize that what you think of yourself projects what you will do in the future? Now, I know there's a lot of people who go, well, you know, you shouldn't be prideful. I'm not talking about being prideful. There is a false humility that the devil wants you to believe and receive that goes, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not worthy to ask anything. God can never use me. Oh, I can't do anything. You notice Caleb says what? In verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able. You know why he believed that we are able? Because he saw the Lord and he wasn't impressed with the enemy. And when you view yourself, you know, here's what they said. No, 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 no. Here's, here's the view of their self. In the last verse of the chapter, there we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers. You know why a lot of people sit in church and they never try anything great? Oh, we'll sing. We serve a great God. Jesus did great things. He's like, yeah, and I got great things I'd like to do through you and for you. 
Oh, we can't do that, Lord. Who am I? Who am I that I could ever say anything? I don't have degrees, and I don't have 40 years of schooling, and, and I'm, I'm not able to do this, and I can't do that, and I can't blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the devil this. And look at my past, because my past is a giant. And, and, man, I'm so impressed by the wickedness that I used to be about, and I'm so impressed by the, the way that I appear and, and all these different things. Lord, how could, I, how could I ever? And the devil's like, that's right. You just keep seated and let the elite take care of it. So impressed with their enemies and thought so little of themselves. You know, in reality, here's, here's who they were. They were God's chosen people. If you are a born-again child of God, you are God's chosen people, chosen in Christ, holy by grace. Now, I'm not preaching a Calvinistic view by no means. You make a choice of what you do with the cross of Jesus. But understand, Jesus chose to come to this earth. He chose to come down and become a man. He chose to take my identity and my sin upon himself. He chose to go to the cross and fully pay for the punishment of my sin. He chose to bury my sin in a grave. He chose to rise again, and he chose to offer you the free gift of grace. Now, you have to choose what you're going to do with that. But if you are, listen to me. You're, you're God's chosen people. You're God's family. The Bible says we've been adopted. We're the sons and daughters of God. Something, something come up with the boys this week. You don't know, our, our boys are traveling, doing some music stuff. And they're in this place where they're playing for this group, pretty pretty big group. And, and, and somebody in the group said something negative. One of the leaders of the group came against them in a negative way. As dad, dad wanted to get on a plane, but he can't do that. So, uh, looking after my boys, because the devil worked through somebody to try to belittle them, I sent them a text. I don't remember where I sent them a text. I said, I want you to remember something. Number one, you're not there to impress anybody. Jesus is already impressed. Number two, you're the son of the king of kings, and you're my son. You have two fathers that love you more than life. Two fathers who are well pleased with you and two fathers who are ready for you to come home. Don't you worry about what those people in those positions say to you. But so many times we want to listen to other people and you need to recognize, and that's what I typed them, you're no grasshopper. God is for you and the Bible said, if God be for me and he is, then who can be against me? And then the third thing is, they were so impressed with the enemies, they thought so little of themselves, and they listened to so much to what others said and thought of them. How many of you compare yourself to people? Me and my wife just talked about this yesterday. She actually magnified this, and I thought, I'm going to use that. We spend so much time when God calls us, and he desires He desires to have a life for you. Not, I'm not just talking about ministry. I'm just talking about everyday life, what God desires for you. And the next thing you know, we're comparing ourselves we're so impressed with what other people think notice how it impressed them in chapter 14 verse 1 so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and all the people wept that night you know there's a there's here's where i'm at okay there's nothing wrong with being broken god draws nigh to near to the broken and contrite spirit there are things in our life that breaks us and there's good breaking and there's good crying but then there's some crying that needs to be put away. 
This crying right here was a cry of defeat and a cry of self-pity and a cry of, oh, woe is me. And there's a lot of church services where you have a lot of that kind of crying. Let's just, let's just get real. Because how do you know when, when you got that kind of crying? Because it leads to the second thing, and all the children of Israel complained. No place in God's, God's people for that kind of crying and complaining. If you're crying because you're broken over God's goodness, if you're crying because you're weeping for lost souls, if you're crying because you're going through something in your life but you believe God's going to bring you through it, that's great. That's biblical. But if you're sitting here going, my life is terrible, I'm just crying, woe is me, and God's not helping me, nobody cares about me and all that stuff, that's crying and complaining that should be put out of your life. Because there's no place for that because that's the accept of defeat is what that is. And the enemy dances over that kind of church service. And so when you look at that... They're crying, and then notice they complain against Moses and Aaron. The preacher gets it. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. There goes the depression. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. And then here we go, pointing the finger. Why has the Lord brought us into the land to fall by the sword that our wives, our children, what a lot of people in church are living, should become victims? I wonder how many of people here today you're living a victim life instead of a victor's life. God didn't save you to be a victim. But they were so impressed by what the ten, the majority, listen to me. They were so moved by what the majority of the witnesses, they didn't even listen to what Joshua and Caleb said. They're like, we're going with the majority. Be careful how you go with what the majority speaks over your life. Listen to what God's word says, but they listened to the majority. They made their decision, and it directed their future. It determined what God had in store for them. They lived a defeated death march, become complaining victims of a carelessness of God. Churches are full of people like that. God doesn't care. Look at what my life is. What what are you doing about it? I've been praying. I've been going to church. Have you taken anything back that's been taken from you? Have you taken a step to go, I'm going to go to war for this. I'm going to go to war for my marriage. I'm going to go to war for my family. I'm going to go to war for my friends. I'm going to go to war for my children. I'm going to go to war for the truth. We can sit around and talk about the majority of churches and the condition that American Christianity is. Or we can say, that ain't going to be me. That ain't going to be us. We're not doing that. And I want to finish up looking at chapter 14, verse 6. Chapter 14 and verse 6. They go through all of this. They're ready to turn around and go back to the old life. Verse 6. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. It's, it's a picture of a good crying, a renting of the heart to go, we can't possibly be hearing this right now. They rent their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, now here's your choice in life, what you're going to listen to today. The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Let me say this, and I'm not, I'm not a minority here, I don't think. I believe I can stand here and go, the life that Jesus has given me is an exceedingly good life. Exceedingly. It's exactly what he promised. And if the Lord, here's what I want you to get underlined if you have your Bible, delights in us. That's where a lot of you are going to get hung up. If the Lord delights, well, he don't delight in me. He saw what I did on the way to church talking to my wife. He knows where I'm going this evening when I get out. He doesn't delight in me. Oh, yeah. I want you to get this picture. Remember when Jesus was baptized? Jesus was baptized. He goes to the Jordan, John the Baptist. 
Jesus baptized, goes down in the water. The Spirit of God descended like a dove, raised up. The Spirit set it on him and said, what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you're a born-again believer, you are, Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ. God looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his Son. He sees the Spirit in and on you. And he's like, I delight in you. You realize Zephaniah actually says God sings over you. God sings. Over, even when I'm, even when I'm act stupid. Do y'all hate your kids when they're stupid? Because they're stupid all the time. So were mine. And so was I when I was a kid. But my mom and dad didn't ever come to me and go, I hate you. If some of you parents tell your kids that, you need to repent and be saved. Your love for your children is an everlasting, unconditional love. And it don't matter how stupid they get, you'll, you'll love me more and, and go out of the way to make sure they know that when they're stupid, God gets stupid over you. He sings over you. Do you realize that? He delights in you. And when you come to the place where you quit listening to the devil, and maybe you need to wake up ten times a day and go, thank you, Jesus, that you delight in me. Thank you, Jesus, that you sing over me. Especially when I'm an idiot. Especially when I fall, especially when I when I turn against you, God, and I do foolish things in my life, God, you, your song never stops. His song never stops. And so, notice what God does with this. He said, He delights in us. He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Notice how they viewed the people, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. That's what made the difference. The Lord is with us. Now, I didn't write this down, but i got to give it to you. All right, I'll give it to you, and you can find it later, okay? Later, I believe it's in chapter 14. The Lord said he wanted to, he wanted to wipe the people out. He's like, I'm going to wipe these people out, and then I'm going to raise up the people out of Moses because he thank you so much. Nobody shakes my hand after church. <clears throat> God help us. I'm finishing right here. <clears throat> but God said, I'm going to wipe them out. Moses prayed for the people. He represents Christ praying for me. He prays for the people and God said, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to let them make it. But they will not have what I have promised them. I'll give it to the next generation. They're going to go out in the wilderness, and they're going to walk their death march, and they're going to die. Every one of them's going to die. Then I'm going to raise up a new generation, and I'm going to fulfill what I've promised. Here's the thing. He said, except for Joshua and Caleb. And he said, because Caleb has a different spirit in him, and he has wholly followed me. So here will be my question. Where is the spirit that's in you leading your life? What are you listening to? Because you say, well, I'm saved and the Holy Spirit's in me. Make no mistake, you're in a spiritual warfare. And a lot of times you're listening to the wrong spirit. The Bible said there are many voices in the world and we got to try or test the spirits. The devil speaks a lot. And God's people begin to listen. And when you listen to that spirit, it's leading you to defeat and death in every area of your life. Caleb said, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to listen to God and I'm going to wholly follow him. And here's the, here's the end of the story and it's really good. All those people go out in the wilderness. God goes with them. He provides for them. He takes care of them. He gives them their necessities, not the blessing. 
They live there. Most, most church people are like, all I want is the necessities. God will give you the necessities, but you miss the blessing. And they die. Everybody under 20, God's goes like, y'all ready? And they're like, we're ready. I think there's a new generation coming up in the church that goes, we're tired of dying. We're ready to live. And so he brings them back up to the Jordan, and, he, and that's where the book of Deuteronomy comes in. He brings them back up to the Jordan. He brings them into the land. Joshua is the one who led them to victory. And at the end of that, after all the ice was, was pretty much wiped out and there were still some, he starts dividing up the land. You go into the book of, of uh, Joshua and, and Judges, and he's dividing up the land, the last part of the book of Joshua, and Caleb comes to him. Now listen to me. Caleb didn't settle for anything less than God's best. He comes up to him, and I'm just wording it. These are my, but he said, hey, Joshua, you remember what the Lord spoke of me. He didn't drum it up in his head. This is what God spoke of me. He said he was going to give me this area of land. And he said, I'm 80 years old, and I'm just as strong now. Some of you who have been saved for 20, 30, 40 years, you ought to be just as strong now as you were the day you met Jesus. I'm just as strong now as I was when I was then. Give me my mountain. You see, he said, I know there's, I know there's still Canaanites in that mountain. I know that there's still iron chariots in that mountain. And I will not settle for anything less. You know why? Because God promised me this. And he's a God who is faithful and true. And I want what God has for me. Even if I'm 80 years old and I've been drugged through the wilderness with a bunch of rebellious believers, that doesn't change what God's promised me. Give me my mountain. So my prayer for you this morning is, number one, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's where the life begins. Without him, you have no life and no hope at all. But he came to give you life if you'll repent. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. He'll save your soul, redeem you from the slavery of sin, and he's ready to go to war for you. But you as a believer have to decide, I'm tired of the devil taking and I have the power over him, I'm going to start taking these things back. I want my mountain. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much that you love us first. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you came to this, this wretched world to save a bunch of wretched people. And God, your love doesn't stop there. You don't want to just save us, but God, you give to us, and you give to us. Lord, we just... We just sang the song, the goodness of God. God, you've been so good, so good. And I thank you that no matter where we're at in life, Lord, you're ready to fight for us. You're ready to fight with us. You have good for every person here. Lord, I pray that today people would choose to start taking back what rightfully was purchased for them through your blood. Lord, they would follow you, trust you. Dive into your word and believe what your promises are for them. Quit listening to the devil. Quit listening to the lies. Lord, that we'd be a people who walk in victory. That when the world sees us, they see your glory. They see your goodness. They see you. God, that we'd be a people. That we'd stand before you unashamed. And God, we wouldn't offer up excuses. But Lord, we would lay hold of the hope that you put before us. Lord, I pray for someone here that doesn't know you. God, today they give their heart and their life to you and receive the grace that you died to give them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.